Welcome back to Fill My Hole. That's right, it still exists. My name is Phil Balabanos, and I have not podcasted in... Ah, fuck. <laughs> That's a great question. Check the last episode upload date. Uh, it must be, I would guess, four months? F- fuck, the whole summer. Um, so the podcast, for those of you who are wondering, I didn't cancel it. I didn't stop doing it. Um, I just got way too busy. And I know that seems like a cop-out kind of an answer, but it it's really is the truth. I mean, after we sold our condo and moved, uh, things were chaotic for a while. And then COVID, I mean, COVID went away to some extent in the summertime, right? Um, and all of a sudden, clients who I hadn't heard from in, I mean, the length of the pandemic just reappeared out of the blue and wanted work. They needed stuff done. And one became two and two became fucking five. And I'm not complaining. I've been busy and that's good because I need to work. Obviously, it's how I make a living. But at some point, I just realized that I was going so hard that I was starting to just be, just be sleepy all the time. Uh, and, and again, that sounds like I'm complaining, but I'm not. It's just that any time that wasn't spent either working or with my kids or my family, uh, I was sleeping. You know, we still did the morning show twice a week, so I, I'm, I've still been present there. I have missed a few episodes, and a lot of times I have to walk out because I get a call from a client, and you can't exactly tell a client, hey, I'm on a podcast. And the podcast, I mean, the podcast served its purpose, and I'm not saying it served it past tense, it's done. I mean, it did serve its purpose and will continue to because, one, I like doing it. It's fun to do. I get to just, what, how did I say it the other day on the morning? I, I get to wax poetic. <laughs> um, and two, it's a marketing tool for me, right? It, it, it's a free way for me to get my face out there so that people get to know who I am if they choose to work with me. You know, if they, not if they choose, but if they see what I'm up to and who, they see my work and they, let's say they like it and they're like, you know, this guy seems interesting. Uh, they check out a podcast, like, seems like a nice guy. I could work with this guy. Or maybe, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they're like, this guy is not for me. Uh, which I guess can happen too. I mean, then it's kind of doing the opposite, you would think. But really, if a client watches this show and is like, I don't want to spend time with this guy, chances are I don't want to make their video. Chances are I do not want to spend time with them because, and this is kind of what this episode is going to be about. It's going to be about working with clients. Um, yeah, like, so how can I, okay, let's start this and preface this by saying I've had different kinds of clients over the years, uh, all kinds from really, really small, like solo entrepreneurs, like little businesses, uh, who sometimes are not actually little, they're making six figures. They're just a, a one person business, uh, all the way to massive, like multinational corporations, right? Um, it's a very different experience always. And I find that <clears throat> to do what I do well in, in the attempt, in the, in the pursuit of making you know, bespoke content, like tailor-made for that business or individual, I need to really get to know people. Uh, one of my real skills, I mean, aside from what I do, I mean, it's a skill that I've taught. One of my natural talents is I'm really good at getting to know people because I'm curious and inquisitive in general. Um, and I tend to overshare, which I have spoken about before. So people feel like they know me and therefore are you know, comfortable and open with me. So I get to know them. And I mean, that's a really important, important part of this job. Like anyone who treats 
making video content for someone, for a, an individual or a business, like it's a factory line kind of thing, like call us, we'll spit out 40 videos for you. I mean, you, those videos probably suck. Uh, and I know I have competitors here who produce, uh, like they yield a much higher quantity of output than I have. Like their yield is higher. Uh, fuck, I, I use that term wrong. But anyways, they make way more videos than I do, but mine are better. And I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I'm spending more time with clients. It doesn't mean I can't make a deadline. It doesn't mean I can't make a delivery date. It doesn't mean I'll shy away from like a very tight deadline, but it helps that I get to know you. Like over the summer, over the summer, someone who used to rent from us when we were at the other place, at the other studio, when I had Xenospace, which was a co-working space for anyone who doesn't know, Xenospace still exists. Uh, we sold that business. It's just not something I wanted to deal with anymore. The, the amount of time that went into managing a co-working space while running a business and trying to do podcasting, it was just too much. And with COVID being what it was at the time, I figured if I was ever going to leave the co-working game, this was the time. People don't want to be in a room filled with strangers. I mean, that's changed, but still. Um, so we sold Xenospace, my partner and I, and uh, Pantelis and I, who was not my partner at Xenospace, decided to go off and get our own studio for the two of us, and that's where we are now. Um, so when I sold Xenospace, a lot of those clients that we had, the co-working clients, the Xenospace clients, they weren't film guys. I mean, there was a few, like I, I've had Ali, Ali K from Studio K on this podcast in one of my early episodes. <clears throat> and Ali, I met because he came to rent from us, and he's become a, a good friend and a, like a colleague, right? We work together all the time. We haven't in a while, but we, we tend to work quite a bit together. And uh, that was my, my dream for Xenospace, to have guys like me together where we could create, basically create this directed economy where we could outsource work to each other and cover for one another when one was too busy and throw a kickback and say, thanks for this contract, here's, you know, whatever, 5%. And, and it worked to some extent with Ali and a few others who had come through. Um, but a lot of the other guys were not video guys at all. We had two stock guys. Um, we, had, who else? we had a music producer at one point. Uh, there was another guy who was selling, not selling, but managing logistics for like freight forwarding. It, it was a hodgepodge mix of different kinds of individuals. We had people in private aviation, uh, graphic artists. Anyways, that's not the point of this story. The point of the story is, one of those guys who was a day trader, or not a day trader, he would kill me if he heard me call him a day trader. He's not a trader. He is a trader, though, a professional trader. He's an investor. He approached me. I hadn't heard from him in a while. He, I mean, he left before I sold the place because he didn't really need the space anymore. And uh, he approached me. He wanted to make a, a master class, which I had never done. Uh, and uh, again, I'll just to, for the sake of clarity, I wasn't creating a master class for the master class company. But we were creating a course, a massive 10-hour course, in the spirit, in the style of the master classes. Uh, and I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was a master class. It just wasn't branded as one. Um, but this was basically the culmination of this guy's knowledge, his life's work. Uh, he's won competition. He's very, very good at what he does. A uh, little bit rain manny when you get into the details of what he does. It's kind of hard to grasp for someone who doesn't understand the, the markets like I do. Uh, and he says, I want to do this. It's 10 hours. So we sit down, we kind of figure out how it's going to work, what it's going to look like, uh, you know, aesthetics, technical stuff, all the stuff that's not interesting to anyone who doesn't care about that stuff, right? And to someone who is not of my industry, it can be very daunting to start talking about what the course is going to look like, the aesthetics. And people have an idea of what things should look like, 
but they don't know how to put it into words. So like part of my job is to help them figure out those words so we can understand each other. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of back and forth. Uh, Matt, that's the, the guy's name. Matt uh, is uh, like an accomplished guitar, guitarist. Like he's played guitar his whole life. I started trying to learn how to play guitar last, I think it was March or April. Um, I am by no means a player of the guitar yet. I can play a few things. But it was cool because we were able to sit down, figure shit out, and then he'd grab the guitar and he'd play. And for me, someone who's trying to learn, watching someone who can play guitar is, it's like fucking voodoo. It's black magic to me, right? So we'd have these like back and forths and he would teach me some stuff on guitar too sometimes. So we got to spend a lot of time together. And this course, like I mean, the production of this course ran the entire summer. Um, if I had to condense it, like if someone's wondering what it would take to make something like that, it only took so long because of the way we shot it because he can't be away from the markets during the day. Um, and he has kids also. So we would only shoot like a couple hours at a time at night or on the weekends. So if we had done it all in one week, like I had initially scheduled it um, when I tried to figure out what it would cost and, you know, just spec the whole thing and figure it out. Uh, producing a 10-hour masterclass is about one full week of shooting, you know, seven days and another three weeks of editing, like if you're just trying to get an idea in your head. But it took us the whole summer to do it because of the way we did, right? By the end of it, when it was done <laughs> and out, first of all, it was a massive success. And like, I mean, I don't take all the credit there. He's obviously very good at what he does. And if the content was garbage, it wouldn't have sold. But he's sold hundreds of copies and it's still for sale. You guys can buy it. Uh, maybe I'll put a link to it in the bottom if you guys are interested. But this is not for like entry-level traders, just for the record. It's not like I want to start trading. This is someone who's been trading for a while and they're looking to up their game. Um, I've read some of the reviews out of this world. Uh, and, and obviously I get to brag a little because people are talking about what a high quality product it is in terms of its production value. But when the course ended, I realized I had been speaking to Matt almost every day for like weeks. When it was done and we didn't speak for a few days, it felt kind of weird, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and I've experienced this before, like, because you spend so much time with someone, you get to know them so well, whether you want to admit it or not, you're friends now. Like, I'm not saying you're best friends, but you're friends. You, you can't avoid that. Um, and especially when a project is successful. Like anyone I've ever made a movie with, even if I only worked with them one time, if we worked on a movie set together, I consider that person, I mean, more than a friend. They're not my best friend in the whole wide world. You know, <laughs> it's not that kind of vibe, but I'll reach out to them periodically or if we interact or we see each other, this is someone who's now an important piece of the grand scheme of the story of my life. Especially if it was my own film and I hired them and they worked for free. Like those people, those people are family. Um, and I don't know if everyone feels that way. I mean, I've worked on bigger sets where I was just hired to do stuff and I worked with a few people and whatever, it was different. But when you're working on a short film with no budget and you guys are just in it together for like weeks at a time, it's different. You, 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 there's a bond that develops there. And I think somehow over the years, I, and, and I, I would think that a lot of people agree with me, people who, in my industry who've worked on short films, like the, there's a very, there's like, there's like a clanship, a family mentality that uh, kind of develops when, you, when you're in it like that, right? But I've kind of transferred that process over to clients because clients are basically, I mean, they're my producers. They're paying me to do something and something that's very near and dear to their hearts because it's important to them as their business. 
but at the same time, they're also helping me throughout the process. And I don't mean they're doing the work, but I mean, they created the story, they created the product, they created, they are them, right? Sometimes they are the product. So you get to really spend a lot of time with people. And when it's good, it's amazing. When it's bad though, it's very, very bad. Because I have worked with people in the past and in recent memory who really, I mean, they, you think you're getting that relationship from them, that we're doing this together, we're gonna get it done. And then at some point, the truth of the matter, I mean the truth as far as they're concerned comes out, which is, and I'm saying this as them, you work for me. Which I'm very clear when I take on clients, I don't work for you, we're working on something together. I know that's a semantic argument. I know technically they're paying me, I'm working for them. I understand that. It's, I'm not arguing whether or not I am actually working for them. I'm arguing whether or not we have the type of power dynamic where it's like, you work for me. Because as a content creator, I learned early on in my career that being a yes man is not a good thing. It does not yield good quality content. Uh, it hurts stories more often than not. So I don't say yes unless I agree. And a lot of times they'll come up with something that to them is an incredible idea. But it's, it's like, I mean, I can see it. It's a couple steps ahead. Whoa, my focus just blew out. Sorry for anyone who's only listening. Um, they, they come up with something and they get so, and I, I've been guilty of this too, where I'll, I'll get obsessed with something and, and then I'm mad that they don't want to use it. Um, but I try, to, I try to keep that in check. I mean, that's ego. But for someone who doesn't do this often, they don't know that it's ego. They just see, you know, I'm going to do this. And this is my idea and he doesn't want to do it. Clients who will ultimately succeed in whatever they're, they're doing, regardless of what industry that is, or whatever their like, raison d'etre is, they know when I say no to something, and I explain my reasoning, not like I'm lazy. That, I mean, that happens too sometimes. Um, there's two things that can happen. One, they're thinking of something that they've never seen in practice that I can figure out because of what I do and my experience, and I'll tell them the truth. Two, it's just sometimes it's just wacky and it's out of the scope of the project. So if, if I like it, I'll tell them, I go, we can do it, but it's going to cost X more because it was not in the original scope. Good clients, people who will be successful will always say the same thing. I understand. Either how much will it cost or forget it, right? Um, certain people, though, just they don't give a shit. They're like, no, no, I hired you. You're going to do this for me. And there's an argument to be made that some, some of these like uh, higher ups, you know, these, these founders, CEOs, whatever they might be, they can make people do stuff and get results from nothing, right? And, and those people exist, right? Who are just so fucking inspirational, you're like, yes, let's do it. I haven't met one in a long time, to be honest. And uh, part of me hopes to meet one again soon. Part of me does not want to because it hurts my bottom line, but... I mean, it, it really is. When you're, when you're working with someone who actually inspires you and you're like, holy shit, this guy's a visionary or this woman is a visionary, it, it's a great feeling, right? But then there's everyone else. And not everyone is Gary Vee, right? No, I don't think even Gary Vee is Gary Vee at this point. The stuff he says is not that groundbreaking um, at this point in like, the evolution of digital marketing. But you, know, you come and you, you butt heads and they... And they become aggressive from time to time and they demoralize you because they devalue you because they're, they're asking for something that's out of scope and you're being honest about it 
And this is a scope thing. Like when it's a bad idea, if I explain myself multiple times and the client is just like, no, I want to see it done. One, you're not paying me to test out ideas that you came up with later, right? Like we established the scope at the beginning before you signed, we knew what we were doing because that's very important in a video production. You can't just start making stuff up along the way. I mean, you can add things. It does happen. Sometimes it's within the scope. I always leave a bit of cushion in the scope project so that we can do cool stuff if it comes up. But if something is so wacky and out of left field that it was not budgeted for, I mean like, yeah, I don't work for you, but this is how I make a living, right? So it's always an awkward conversation to have with clients. Like, I don't want to be the guy who hears a good idea and is like, I, I can't do that, it's gonna, you're not, you're not paying me for that. Like, I don't want to do that. I, I, I've said this before, if I had some other revenue stream that was my lifeblood, I would just make videos for free. I really like doing it. I truly enjoy it. But the fact of the matter is, this is my job. This is how I make a living. And like, I don't do work for free anymore, ever. Like, there, are, there is no instance where I would agree to do something for free. Um, because I've been there, and after years of doing it, just trying to build a portfolio, I realized I was selling a piece of my soul every time. Because a client hires you to make something for them that they need to make money and the thing that you're doing for them is the thing that you need to make money. So you give it to them and 99.99999% of the time, that free, that spec client, even if the video is a massive success, they won't come back to you because they're like, well, he was doing it for free. They never see it as a favor. They just see it as something they got along the way. But when things get out of scope in a regular project, I have to keep that same mentality. Like I'm still giving something away for free. And certain clients, I mean, they're just, they want and they want and they want. And if you give them what they want all the time, you'll hurt the video. Sometimes you need to stand your ground because devaluing what I'm doing by having me do more than I agreed to do without remuneration, it demoralizes me. And, and, it, and it breaks a bit of me. And that, that excitement, that, that, that joy... I mean, it, it, it's dwindled away, so the product, the final product, is not as good. And that ultimately is the problem with doing free work. If I have to worry, you're now taking energy away from the positive energy that I have, this, like, this excitement to do something for you, to make this thing that I love to make and to do what I love to do and what I'm good at. If you, you pull away some of that and you turn it into negativity, and I'm not trying to be like all like you know crystals and shit. I just mean like one is a positive, one is a negative. If you start filling the, the atmosphere of the project, the, 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 the relationship between us with trying to screw me, I mean, I'm not going to be as happy and I'm not going to end up, not on purpose, just, at that point, you've, it's like you can't piss off the artist. You know, if someone's painting you a beautiful picture and you're telling him what a dick he is the whole time and how untalented he is, he's not going to paint you a good picture. He's going to try because his ego is going to make him try, but... Things come unaligned. It, it, it's hard to explain. I've, I've never tried to explain that before. But yeah, because when I argue, when I argue, when I get into these conversations about out of scope and extra work and what it'll cost, I feel dirty. I don't like talking about it. And I shouldn't. I know that. But all clients see is, oh, he wants more money. But when you really think of why I'm asking for something, it's because we had an agreement. Like if you made an agreement with someone and they reneged on the agreement, you'd be upset. Once you're upset, I mean, can you really focus on what you were doing? I mean, I still can, and I can still deliver, but it just kind of sours the whole thing. 
And, and, and it's just something that happens way too often. Uh, and like, I don't, I don't hold it against people personally. Like it, I really don't, uh, I get it. People, people are wrapped up in their own shit and they want to get what they want to get done for. A lot of it is ego because everyone always wants to get more, especially when I'm working with like, uh, what's the right word here? Like ethnic clients. I mean, people like me, people who aren't just like, you know, John Smith or uh, Jean Lefebvre, like Quebecois or just white Anglo-Saxon Canadians, like anyone, Italians, Greeks, uh, whatever. Uh, it's, I'm having a hard time like identifying it, but I think everyone knows what I mean. Uh, there's, especially in like Mediterranean culture, there is this idea that you should always get a little more, just a little more. It's a little bizarre, you know, vibe. Like, come on, 10 bucks, all right, 10 bucks, but throw in whatever. Uh, it's like a point of pride. I, I can operate that way. I don't like to, um, but I can. And I feel like those clients, they always, so I, I mean, if I know from the beginning I'm entering into this agreement knowing you're going to want something, I'll make arrangements at the beginning to give you something. And 95% of the time, probably higher, I always give clients more than they asked for, right? Even though we may get into these scope agreements, disagreements, at the end, you're probably going to get the thing you asked for and like a little extra because I get a lot of footage and I hate to waste footage. So I'll always do a bit more, a bit of something, maybe behind the scenes or uh, a longer cut or a shorter cut or just like a teaser of it. Like I always do something because I like doing it anyways. And I mean, I know that I have that bargaining chip. Like I'm entering into the agreement with the other Greek guy that you know, he's going to want a little something and something. So I'm going to give him a little something something, and it's fine. It's, it's, it's like a, an unspoken part of the statement of work, you know? But then you have other people who are just like, okay, I like this little something something, but I'll take six more. And you're like, dude, like, why? Why? Why are you devaluing what you clearly know has value because you hired me? And uh, I know this sounds like I'm ranting and complaining about clients not wanting to pay, because, but this is not at all what it is. It's really a, I like to have that awesome relationship with clients because it always makes the best videos. And some of the best things I have ever produced, those people are people I still talk to. Even if they're not doing what they were doing anymore uh, or uh, they've since moved on to something else and they don't need me for videos, we still speak because, like I said, you accidentally become friends. And, I mean, as an adult man with two kids, like, I'm not exactly out looking for new friends. Like, that's not what my... I mean, I have friends. I have, uh, like, a handful of really close friends. Uh, I have my wife. And, and I accidentally keep, like, I'm, I'm, like, accumulating these outlying friends. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, and sometimes I forget. I'm like, oh, that was a client. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's one of my clients. He's not really my buddy. Because I'll tell oh, I have a friend who can help you. And I was like, not my friend, it's a client. And what happens is, when that happens, you're basically created like a marketing cycle. Because if you work with someone, you give them a good video, and they really like you, and you guys become friends, when their friend needs something, they're going to tell them, go, go see my friend. And when you meet someone who may need them, you're going to say, and so word of mouth is still a massive part of marketing, right? That's why I hate to, I've only burned a few bridges in my career. Uh, I don't regret either of them, and they deserved it. Uh, I mean, deserved it. Like, they, like in the grand scheme of their massive multi-million dollar businesses, like, I'm important, but it brought me joy to burn that bridge and tell them, like, no, I'm not doing this. And I'm not talking about clients who didn't want to pay. I'm talking about clients who were 
assholes to me or who withheld partial payments to try and blackmail me into doing more work. Um, fuck those people. That is a dirty fucking thing to do. And uh, I also thank them for teaching me how to draft the proper statement of work in a contract so that it never happens again. Um, it does happen. It, it, it probably will happen to me again. But I did burn two bridges. And in one instance, I delivered the project and I just I had to be aggressive about not doing any more. And I came off more aggressive than I expected. And they're never going to work with me again. And I'm okay with that because they were assholes. And another one, I simply halfway through the project, I refunded whatever they had paid. And I said, I'm done. Like, I won't be spoken to this way. I won't be micromanaged like this. Uh, fuck you. Get another videographer. And then um, they started trying to hire other videographers. They tried to sully my name to those videographers saying, we worked with this guy. He was a real asshole. He didn't know what he was doing. And a lot of the, it's a small community. We all know each other. Uh, a lot of them reached out to me and they're like, what the fuck? I was like, look, uh, they're, they're not paying. Like, they don't have the money to pay. They're, they're lying. They're agreeing to things that they don't ever expect, uh, intend to fulfill. Like, be careful. Make sure your contract is ironclad. And the only reason I refunded anything, because they had given me a little bit of money, was because they were such a big company that I was scared that they would legally come after me. And that's, that's the thing. When you're small, like I was at the time, I, I mean, I'm still small compared to them. This is a multinational, like this is a really big company. I won't name them. Um, you get scared. You're like, fuck, what, they could come and say damages and God knows what. So I was like, take, take. It was only a couple hundred bucks at the time. It was like a small deposit. I'm going to take it and suck a dick. Um, I'm not even sure if that company still operates under that name anymore, but I'm still not going to get into it. So yeah, it's only happened twice that I had to go nuclear on a client. Um, but any other time in my life, I mean, I've had a really good relationship with clients. They annoy me sometimes. Uh, I mean, even with, actually, because Matt's the most recent big project. Uh, at one point, he asked me to do something that was like, I had done like 30 times and I was just, it's 10 hours of footage. I was just fed up and I snapped at him and he looked at me, he goes, whoa, like six weeks in, I've never seen you like lose your cool. I was like, I'm sorry, man, I'm just tired. Because <laughs> like, I, like I said, it's a good course, but to edit the same 10 hours of footage over and over again, at some point it wears on you and, and it becomes exhausting because you're like, I don't care about the markets anymore. Just stop talking, you asshole. And I would, I would, sometimes he would call me to ask me a question. I'd be a, a, like aggressive on the phone. He's like, what's up? I'm like, sorry, I've been listening to you fucking talk all morning. He's like, oh yeah, I'd be annoyed too. So um, funny story though, actually. Sorry, I just made a click sound. Um, at the end of the course, when I finished it and we delivered it, I was talking with someone about the market and I realized I accidentally absorbed like 70% of the course. So like, remember in the matrix is the joke I always tell to, to say to Matt when he asked me about it. You know how he like they upload things into his brain and he's like, oh, I know Kung Fu. I know markets now. Like I understand the stock market. It's kind of crazy, uh, which is a testament to him as a teacher because he is also a teacher. Um, if he can teach this dum-dum about the markets, I mean, at least 70% of it, then uh, fuck, man. <laughs> Probably good money to spend if you're an intermediate trader. Um, that's enough free marketing for you, Matthew Caruso. So yeah, so this, this thing with clients, it, it's like, it's a, it's a give and take and it has to be a give and take. It can't just be take, take and me give, give, uh, because it's, it's mentally exhausting and it's, it's, it's demoralizing. I think that is the right word to describe it. It's completely demoralizing 
but uh, I don't know. Like I have another client now who I'm about to start work with, who I've worked with in the past, who vanished on me months ago. And I know he watches the podcast, so yeah. And when he called back, I was like, oh, oh, look who's still alive. I was in total shock. I was like, I never expected this person to ever contact me again because the last time we were about to start working and he vanished. He's just into the ether, gone. I mean, he explained himself this time, but until he explained himself, I was like, what? Like, there was a part of me that, like, because I liked the guy uh, back then. I mean, I still like the guy. But when it happened, I was so angry. I was like, how could he just ghost me? I was like, he must be dead. Like, I made myself believe that this guy died. That's why he wasn't answering me. And, and now he's back and we're working on something super fucking interesting. And I, I, you know, in that moment back then, I could have burnt that bridge. I could have reached out and been like, fuck you, bro. For no reason, because I was really upset. I was like, it hurt my feelings. It wasn't a professional thing. It legitimately hurt my feelings. And, and I told him so much this time. But I did, and I was like, that's really weird. There must be an explanation, because I've known asshole clients. This is not one of them. So I don't see why he would do that. On the flip side of that, I have this other client who I can't even really call a client. It's very strange. This guy shows up as a referral from a copywriter I had worked with on another project who I had a good, like a good working relationship with. She refers me to her new boss. I won't get into what they do or who they are, but they're an online company that used to be a brick and mortar company. And <laughs> they tell me they need something which is massive and it needs to be done in under seven days. So I say, okay, it's a, it's a very tight deadline. Anything delivered that soon, I have like a, a rush fee. I explain them the rush fee and they said, no problem. I go, it's a percentage you know, of the project. They said, sure. I said, okay, here's the price. And it was, because of the rush fee, I mean, it was high, but there was no other way that I could have done it in time. Like I needed to dedicate all my resources to that. So I, I bill them. I mean, I, I quote them. They agree. We sign a statement of work. We schedule the first day, two days of shooting. It was a two-day shoot. The morning of, they cancel because something came up. I mean, I understand. They were very apologetic about it. I said, no problem, we'll shoot tomorrow. I normally take my deposits on the first day of shooting. It's 50%. I mean, it used to be less, but now it's 50 because of things that have happened. So I, I tell them, I go, listen, uh, I'll reschedule for you. No, I'm not going to charge you like because I have cancellation fees built into my uh, contracts. But I, I mean, I understood what happened. It was just a bad situation. I was like, look, I'm not going to be a dick about it. It's cool. I don't have anything tomorrow because I had allocated time for you. But, you know, don't let it happen again. Doesn't it happen again the very next day? So I was like, look, guys, I'm willing to block off days for you now, but, and I won't charge you an extra fee, but you have to pay your deposit. Like, if you want me to guarantee anything, I'm, you're paying your deposit. And they say, no problem. They pay me the deposit. And it was a big deposit. And then they don't show up for their day of shoot. They won't answer. They finally answer, say something came up. We'll be in touch soon. I say, okay. And that was the last I ever heard of them. I've reached out six times. Can't find them. Suddenly, about three weeks ago, the CEO sends me an email, says he needs to talk. I say, no problem. Call me at this time. He says, perfect. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't call me. So I call the guy a few times. He doesn't answer. I mean, he's busy. I get it. But like, what's going on? I mean, I shouldn't complain. I was effectively paid to do something that I never did. And it's a non-refundable deposit. Like, the, the, the business side of it makes sense. But like my personal pride is like, you paid me. I need to do what you asked for. If you don't need that anymore, let me do something else because this is crazy. 
and I can't find them. So like, you get all sorts of clients. There's, there's, some people love to burn money. I mean, I guess that, that's the only explanation I have. Um, and some people don't. What else have I worked on lately? Uh, another old client of mine that came back, we just did a VR video that's launching. I'll, I'll release like a teaser soon so you guys can see it. I want them to launch it first. Really cool though. Actually, I've had a few firsts in my career that no one gives a shit about. Uh, one, because they're not easily verifiable. I mean, it took time to figure out that I was the first. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's it. So the very, the one, okay, so let's go through them. One thing that I'm pretty sure, like 95% sure that I was the first person to ever do in this context was use on-screen tweets, like graphics, to further the story of a short film. I did it in 2012. Uh, this black and white poster behind me right here. Um, the whole movie's storyline is based on how Twitter functions, like for advancing the plot. It's all tweets. Um, it's rudimentary looking and looks like shit, like the graphic, because it was in 2012. Um, but I think I was the first person to do it. I'm pretty certain. Also, I was the first person to take a 3D uh, scanning IR camera, like a Matterport camera, onto a private aircraft. But best as I can tell, I was the first person to do it. I know someone else had attempted to, and there was like a weird attempt at it. Like it wasn't really Matterport, but as far as Matterport's concerned, and having like uh, that be part of the, the approach to selling these private aircraft, I think I was the first, Manny and I, when we were at Smart Jets. Um, so cool, again, unverifiable, and no one gives a shit anyways. And recently, I think I'm the first person to ever handheld shoot inside of a VR video game. This one I'm pretty proud of if it's true. I haven't verified. I looked though. It seems like I might be. So, so here's the thing. Here's the, here's the challenge, right? I get approached by a company that makes a VR laser tag uh, game, right? But they also make the arena where you play the game because there's no tethers, there's no wires, there's no nothing. The company's called Phenomena. You're basically running around like a 10 by 10 space with laser guns in VR. It looks pretty fucking real. And by the end of it, you're sweating. Like, it's not for the faint of heart. So they tell me we want to, you know, we want to show the game and showcase how the game works inside the arena. So I'm like, okay. So I look at other, like, what competitors are doing. And there's two things that's happening. One thing that they're always doing is they're doing that grid, like, morphing thing where you become VR. But they're not using VR gameplay footage. What they're doing is they're building that scene, at least, in Blender. Or, I mean, in another software that does 3D graphics. So the images look way better than the gameplay. Even though they're trying to pass it off as gameplay. They're doing this effect where you see like a person standing on a green screen and then like, like they, they suit up to fight in space or whatever. It looks amazing. But then when you see the next scene, the game, which is what you're selling, looks like shit compared to the group. Like the stuff that's happening in Blender that's being individually rendered for that shot is a much higher quality than even the best graphics right now. Because the game is running, right? Not that the games look bad, but in comparison, they don't look great. Like, we're talking about taking a video game and then putting something next to it that's photorealistic. Uh, even the greatest non-VR games right now, there's still something there. You see, especially when it comes to like people, like we're not that far along yet. Uh, maybe in a couple years, but 
it's almost perfect, but it's not. So apply that to a whole scene and then go into the, the lower res, if you will. It's not the right term, but gameplay. It's shocking and it, it feels like a lie. Like it's almost a disappointment when you see the game. So I was like, why don't we shoot in the game, which looks phenomenal, but how? Because like Blender works on 3D cameras, but you can't bring a Blender 3D camera into live gameplay. I didn't want to just capture scenes. I wanted to like, capture gameplay. So I was like, we're trying to figure it out. So I go and I, we're testing this game out. And I, it was the first time I was playing the game also. Sorry, I'm super thirsty, guys. It was the first time I was actually, you know, doing it and playing the game. And at some point, I have my POV of my headset, like my Oculus or the Vive, whatever it was. I'm holding it. I'm not wearing it. I'm holding it. And my POV is on the screens where we're recording or where the, the operator uses the game. And I start moving it around. And I was like, wait a second, I have them holding a camera. Like this is a virtual camera. My POV is a camera. Sure, I can't change the focal length and stuff, but instead of just POVs where you're whipping your head around, I can actually come in and push in and pull out and I can pan and controlled movements. Now I don't have to hold it, I can do it with my head, but just the fact that I realized what it was meant that instead of playing POV, I could stand, I could kneel, I could get in different positions in, in the arena and get different types of shots, like tracking shots, over-the-shoulder follow shots, a bunch of different stuff. So when I said, this is what we're going to do, they all kind of looked at me and they're like, huh? And I was like, wait, is this not what you guys have been doing all this time? And they're like, no. I go, how do, you, how do you guys record gameplay to show stuff? They're like, we just let the camera cycle because it has like, uh, I think it's five predetermined angles that the camera can cycle. So there's like the corners of the arena, there's an aerial, there's a POV and like a side shot. And like, we just press record and let it cycle and whatever it captures, it captures. I was like, wait, hold on, hold on. Because this is not a complex solution. I didn't, in my mind, I hadn't done anything. I just like, oh, I'm, I'm a noob to VR. That's what it is. That's how they do it. And they're like, no, we've never done that. So I was like, okay. Then I looked at all the other games and I was like, that's not what they're doing here either. So I have a suspicion that we may have been the first ones to do this, to actually virtually handheld shoot. Again, I'm very hard to verify and nobody gives a shit, but it's important to me. These are like little badges of honor in my mind. Like I figured something out, like I, I blazed the trail. I, I innovated when a solution wasn't obvious and these things make me happy. And the video is fucking cool. The video came out really fucking cool. Um, my buddy Vag came in. He, he plays like the player one character, the one that kind of plays the audience's role. Like uh, he introduces you. He doesn't talk like you're just kind of experiencing it with him. So like that you know what's happening. And I worked with a, a CG artist. I mean, I don't know if that's the right term, but I haven't really done much work with uh, 3D artists. I tend to shy away from it. But this guy was fucking, like the stuff he made, uh, you guys should check out the video on my uh, Instagram when I post it. Wow, like some of that stuff from a distance and the, the length of the shots, you forget that it's CGI. Because this arena that we had to use, that they were showcasing, it exists, it's a physical space but I didn't have access to it. It was en route to where they were uh, launching it. So it was in pieces. So there was no way for me to shoot it because it was in a bunch of boxes in transport to Orlando. So we had to build it and make sure it looked exactly like it did in real life in 3D without it looking like it was 3D. So there was green screen stuff. There was all kinds of stuff. Um, and that relationship with that client, I mean, I've worked with them many times. One of my biggest, one of my earliest big projects was with them. Uh, Pantelis actually used to work with them. That's how I got to know them. 
And they've come back over the years for different things, different businesses, different projects. And every subsequent project seems to get better because we have an understanding. And that understanding is like the golden, that is the bar for good content. Like respect what you brought me in to do. I'll let you do what you know. You let me do what I know. We'll meet in the middle. If we butt heads, we butt heads and we'll figure it out. And that's what we did. So this was a tight deadline too. I've been working on only this for the past six weeks. Um, I mean, I started some pre early pre-prod for other stuff, but um, we're getting there. And the one thing about being friends with a client, like uh, I've been describing, it's always hard and awkward to ask for payment. Like, I don't want to ask for payment. I just want to assume that I'm going to get paid on time. But then I have to, and then I feel like an asshole. And then it, Like I said, if I could, honestly, if I could, I would just do, if I won the lottery tomorrow or I, my fucking, I don't know, I bought an NFT and became a billionaire, I'd still probably just make videos for people. I would just choose who and I would do it because I believed in a project. Because it's, I don't see, like I can't even ever see myself retiring. I, I, I've spoken with my wife about it. Like, w unless I physically can't anymore for whatever reason or mentally can't, why would I retire? I really like doing this. Like, I do this as a hobby on the side for myself. So why would I ever step away? And you see that with directors and filmmakers in general. Like, they don't really retire unless something happens. Uh, as long as we're able of able mind and body, like, we'll keep making movies. We'll keep making videos because that's what we do. Uh, and then you look at, like, TikTok. Like, these Gen Zers who are, like, millionaires from dancing. Like, I wonder how, like, I wonder if they'll just keep making content. Because TikTok eventually will fail. Like, Facebook is failing and a new platform will take its place. Um, but I wonder... I mean, by that point, by the time they're too old and it's cringy, I guess we'll be fully immersed in the metaverse and they can just make younger, sexier avatars of themselves and they can dance. Problem solves itself. <coughs> Speaking of the metaverse, I am the proud new owner of two. Two. Come on, focus on my fingers, damn it. Two. Two NFTs. I bought two fucking non-fungible tokens. I don't understand what the hell is going on yet. I've been in the crypto thing for a while. I don't want to get into like deep into this. I just like, I like the idea that I own art. I forget that it's an NFT. It's just, I don't know. As a creator, it's always been complicated for me if someone wanted to buy, like, I don't want to sell prints of my photos and my videos are hard to sell. Like it's, it's abstract. So like the idea that I have like photos that I can now sell, I mean, for nothing. Um, and, and it's relatively simple to do relatively <laughs> it's cool like i i have I, there's a link in my instagram uh, on my solo link in my bio where you can see what photos i have minted as nfts only one is for sale for one ether because i'm a madman i don't expect to sell it i just wanted to i wanted to see how the process i was just testing it and i was like well if i'm gonna do it i'm selling it for one e um and i'll add more there as nfts that i'm not going to post for sale i mean if someone wants to buy them they, they can they can just make an offer uh and i'm not going to be crazy about it like i'll sell them for cheap like reasonable prices, um, but I don't expect to sell any. I just, I, I think it's cool that I have that. And then I bought two. Uh, I bought this very distinguished looking dog. He's called the Meta Dog Number One. And I also bought Meta Dog Number Six because he looks like the last king of Sparta and I thought it was cool. I made him my profile picture. I feel like such a child, like a nerd, like I'm collecting Pokemon cards, which I never really did. Like uh, the only thing I ever collected was comics. Like I have the original run of Spawn, like unopened, just sitting in a box and a bunch of other like obscure things. But yeah, like I get, like I get why people are, now that I tried it and I did it, 
I, I get it. I, I don't understand the technology or how it functions or none of that, but I get the hype. I completely understand why people are excited about it. But I do understand the technology in, the, in terms of like, I understand why blockchain is important. Uh, and I think 10 years from now, especially on the Ethereum network, like even my statements of work could exist as a blockchain kind of document. Like I'm not sure, like I don't understand it enough, but I really think it might make sense to, to, to how, how's, make the agreement and be paid through like one of these crypto networks because it, I mean, it just, you can schedule it. it it's, it's quick. It's verifiable. It's instant. The, the fees are relatively low, especially once they release, what is it? E2.0, the, the new Ethereum network that has less gas fees or zero because it's green. Um, I've spent enough time talking about crypto. I don't want to be the crypto guy. Uh, that's, I'm the film guy. I make, I make videos. My name is Phil. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am back. I still will probably be very irregular in my schedule for podcasts, but I will try to make more. Uh, I had forgotten how much I enjoyed doing this, honestly, talking to myself. Um, the one thing I didn't miss is staring at myself and my big ass nose and my nose hairs and my crooked everything and being bald. So I'm going to turn off this screen next time because I have a screen of like my computers here and the camera's here. I'm going to try and talk directly to you guys instead. But then sometimes I'll just look off in the distance because... That's a bit of, that's, that's what I do. Balabanos.com if you want to check out my work. Uh, I would appreciate it. Go check out some of my work. Leave some comments on the YouTube. Say, you know, Phil, good job, Phil. Everyone needs a pat on the back sometimes. Um, morning show, twice a week, live on YouTube on Pantelis Comedy. Again, there are links for that in my Instagram or on my website. You can get all those. Balabanos.com takes you to everything. My name is Phil Balabanos. Thank you for tuning in or signing up or... What's the what is tuning in for podcasts? Thank you for being here. Goodbye. You've been listening to Fill My Hole. This podcast is available on YouTube in its full video form. If you're lazy and you don't want to Google it and you don't want to search on YouTube, balabanos.com, hit the podcast section. You can subscribe directly to the RSS feed there. My name is Phil Balabanos, and I'll see you next time.